Welcome to How Leaders Lead, where every week you get to listen in while I interview some of the very best leaders in the world. I break down the key learnings so that by the end of the episode, you'll have something simple you can apply as you develop into a better leader. That's what this podcast is all about. Well, I'm really excited. The 48th Walker Cup match is happening this weekend at the heralded Seminole Golf Club in Juneau Beach, Florida. That's when leading amateur golfers of the U.S. go head-to-head with the best amateurs from Great Britain and Ireland. And let me tell you something, it's always fun to watch. So it's the perfect time to talk to John Spider Miller, who captained the U.S. team in 2015 and again in 2017. He's a renowned amateur golfer in his own right and a successful beer distributor as well. Better yet, He's living proof of just how powerful responsibility is. When we work hard on our own responsibilities and then trust others with theirs, we can accomplish amazing things. This is timeless leadership wisdom, and I just can't wait for you to hear it. So here's my conversation with my good friend and soon to be yours, The Spider Miller. You know, you're actually John Miller, uh, Spider, but tell me, how, I always like to get at the upbringing of people. How'd you get that? How'd you get that name of Spider? I'm one of 11 children and a Catholic family, of course. I'm the middle child, and my father was a uh, small town business businessman. He had a hardware store, uh, partial ownership in a tire store, a laundromat, and uh and he had a partial ownership in a beer distributorship. So dad was, uh, I guess I get it from him. And uh, he worked hard. And then having all us kids, apparently I was climbing on the shelves in his hardware store one day when I was four or five years old. And the nickname Spider was given to me and it stuck. <laughs> did you have a lot of jobs when you're coming up as a kid? I did. You know, uh, my dad was partners in a number of the ventures with his brother, and he had uh, three boys. So uh, in high school, I got up every morning and, and uh, mopped the floors in our laundromat along with my cousin, and we each got a dollar a day. <laughs> now tell me, Spider, what did you learn from the, from jobs like that? I mean, you know, I guess for me, I think the important thing, and I tell people that, that are raising their family, if I learned one thing uh, in raising our five children is the importance of work. And uh, I think it's good that that, uh, young people uh, have the responsibility to be at a certain place on time and perform a certain task. And and I always believe there's dignity in work and it doesn't matter what the chore, what the task, uh, there's there's just dignity in in working. And and, uh, if I could pass anything on to my kids, it would be that. You know, that's, uh, did you have any mentors that uh, really helped you along the way when you're? Yes, I had, uh, I always uh, sought the advice of the older uh, people I knew in my life. Uh, my dad was one, and uh, I had another friend, um, uh, Elliot Phillips, who's just across the river here in New Albany, he was a great mentor to me in my business career. Where did you get, where did you first get your passion for golf? Well, I, I think I started playing when I was six years old, and I caddied uh, through grade school, and uh, we were a nine-hole course in our little town, and and I wasn't big enough to carry the bags for the men because they had those big old leather bags, and uh, generally they were stuffed with golf balls and a 
couple pints of whiskey. But uh, <laughs> I caddied for the women, and I got a dollar a nine. So, and 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 uh, she'd occasionally give me a ten cent tip, and then I would cut the count the cut cuss words. Uh, her name was Miss Call, C-U-L-L, and, and uh, I kept track of her cuss words, and she'd give another dime for each cuss word to the church. <laughs> <laughs> so you're learning golf and uh, right. doing good at the same time. That's great. Uh, well, how'd you get involved in the beer business? Well, in the beer business, my dad owned, uh, he was a partial owner in a small distributorship, and they had PAPS, and they had one employee. And um, they had an offer, a cash offer for it. And I was home from college. And uh, I said, Pop, you, you keep the books on that, don't you? He said, yeah, I have them. So I, I poured over the books and, and uh, I knew the purchase price that they were offered and they were going to accept. And I said, I can give you 25% more, but you have to carry me. I, I, you have to carry it on contract and I think I can finance it over eight years. I can give you 8% interest and, and I'll amortize the principal. And he said, you have to go talk to the other guys. So I went around and looked up the other guys and, and uh, they agreed. And um, I made every payment on time and that's how I got started. Now you did that straight out of school? Uh, I'd been, uh, I worked, how I got through college is, uh, I went for two years, then I, I worked for two years. And then when I went back, uh, to school, I, w I worked for the golf pro, but that time I could probably do about anything on a golf course. So he hired me, I could fix the golf carts. And, uh, so I worked full time for him and I finished school part time. But then you were able to really put that business proposition and got you started. It did. And then, and honestly, that's where I was exposed to better players. So we had a good golf team and I played with all of them all, uh, when I could. And, uh, I just sort of, uh, maintained my passion. I ran the driving range. So you can imagine how I did it. I, <laughs> I didn't sit in the shed. I stood out there and pounded balls. And <laughs> somebody came and wanted to rent a bucket. I followed them right inside, took their money, gave them a basket, and then I followed them right out the door and start hitting balls again. <laughs> <laughs> now, you started out in your, your business with uh, Pabst. What brands do you have now? Yeah, primarily I'm Anheuser-Busch. I, I have a Pabst, of course, and uh, we have uh, Heineken. And uh, we have Constellation brands, which which are the Modella and, and the Corona brands. Now, so and a number of the crafts. Yeah, so in effect, basically, you're a franchisor, and and, and uh, you you bottle the beer and then sell it in that particular area. Yeah, well, yeah. The, where where we differ from the soda uh, side is that it comes to us from the brewery all packaged. But yeah, essentially a uh, similar distribution scheme. Yeah. And then we sell the license accounts. What do you think makes a good uh, franchisor? Like about, you know, what do you expect as an yeah. entrepreneur from, a, uh, from an Anheuser-Busch? Well, um, we represent the brand in the community and that's first and foremost. So if, if, in, if in our market, they think of a, of, of a brand, be it uh, Budweiser or Corona, they think of us. So we represent that brand. And I think that's very important is how we conduct business, how we carry ourselves, our trucks, the politeness of our people. Each and every person that touches a customer represents that brand and, and represents uh, all of us. And it's a collective effort. And 
I think probably that's the most important thing, that I am the face of a, of a very big company in, in a small area. Right, right. And how would you interact with like uh, an Anheuser-Busch? Well, um, I'm a little long in the tooth right now. My youngest, my oldest son is running the company, but you know, to me, um, I think they're just, they're just like we are. We share a common goal. We want to increase our sales. We want to maximize profits. And, and I think, uh, it's, it's just the same way I treat my customers. I don't do anything different for them because they hold a stick over me, so to speak, but I do own my own business. But you know, now you've, you've got your family involved. Your son basically runs the business. What advice can you give people on, on how to best uh, operate as a, as a family company? Well, I think uh, I, I'm feeling my way through that, but I think it's important that the, the people who come into the business have worked outside the business. And that's one of the things I learned from some of the older guys that I spoke with who, who had family succession is that they, their, their younger family members had experience outside of, of, of work, just working for them. So they had to answer the bell for someone else who was unrelated. And then after two years, and that was kind of the threshold I wanted, at, at least two years outside of the family business. So you wanted your son to get outside, get different experience, then come into the business. Yes. You know, and then, you know, you got to deal with your son and he's got to deal with the father. And, and that's, <laughs> you know, that's, that's a lot of people say that's a much more difficult relationship than a typical uh boss, uh, subordinate, uh, how do you feel about that? Well, it, it hasn't been difficult for me. When I started in the, in the business, let's say, I was uh, 29, I think, 28 or 9. And uh, I would go to meetings, and, the, and there would be the father and the sons. And uh, typically, the, the uh, father would do all the talking, and the sons, who were my age and sometimes older than me, would uh, listen and and I used to think to myself, you know, when my time comes, I'm not going to be the guy in the room espousing uh, what I believe. I'm going to let I'm going to let my if it's my kids or if it's an unrelated party, I'm going to let them run the show. I'm going to I'm not going to be in there uh, doing all the yapping uh, for the sake of just doing it. So I've done that. Joe has complete control and. Uh, I'm, I'm in there to support him. I tell him, Joe, I'm here to support you in any manner I can. You tell me what, how I can add the most value to our organization and, and what, what form of support do you want from me? That's great. So you've really turned the reins over I to have. him and now yeah. take direction for him in terms of what he needs. That's a sign of, uh, always a sign of great leadership. You know, what do you look for, Spider, when you hire people? I guess I'm, I'm driven a little bit the way I, I view golf. I, I do it by personality. I always say that I can teach you to do the job, but the difficult part is if you don't have that desire, that passion, and, and uh, the basic uh, components, it, it's difficult. Uh, I can't change the way you think, so I try and hire someone who, who has that already innately, and then we can train them to do the job. So I believe that... And that's where I go back to, I think it's important that uh, young people have a job when they're young. I think it, it trains them for the basics and when they show that desire to work, that's what I look for. You know, let's talk about your, your golf career, which has been 
very celebrated. You're a hell of a golfer. You 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 ran, won the mid amateur uh, in in '96 and, and and '98, which is you know just just an amazing accomplishment, which allowed you to play in the Masters the those two years. Uh, you know, as you developed as a golfer and you end up playing at at the Masters, what what was that like when you you know you you, you go from being an amateur now you're out there with all these pros? What was that like? Well, I, <laughs> there's an old saying, uh, when, when we were kids, if you wanted to see time go fast, uh, take out a big mortgage because <laughs> the first of the month comes around pretty quick, but I can still remember having one and, and, uh, I was up, I live in Indiana and it was cold and the first master's commercial would come on. They would start those about eh, maybe February. Maybe March, they run the teasers, you know, uh, uh, a tournament like no other. And I remember seeing it and thinking, oh, my God, I'm going to play in that. And, <laughs> and I hadn't played at all. And, but it was great. I had, I had a, a great experience. I was very fortunate to be friends with Fuzzy Zeller. Fuzz uh, took me under his wing, arranged our practice rounds, and we played with Arnold. That's where I first met Arnold. And uh, got to play with Jack and and uh, Tom Watson, guys that that you know I thought a lot of as golfers. And uh, so thanks to him, it was it was very easy for me. Well, you you did become very good friends with the uh, the great late uh, Arnold Palmer. What did you learn from him that you think uh, everybody could really apply as principles in their life? I think what I learned most from Arnold is that you treat people uh, the same. Arnold treated the, the people who could not help him in any manner whatsoever. He treated them as well as the people who could help him. It, you know, the doorman, the locker room guy, the, the waitress, the waiter, uh, server nowadays. But Arnold was kind and uh, he showed the same, that he treated people the same regardless of who they were. And I thought it was one of the greatest traits. He, he took his time and when he left you, and he'd meet people for the first time. You always had a feeling that you knew him for a long time. He had that ability to put you at ease, and and he didn't uh, he didn't want patronized. You know, Arnold was the first one to reach. He was the biggest tipper. He was um, he was just a special man. Yeah, you know, it's my buddy. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, you know, you both also. Besides golf, which you both loved, you both loved to fly. And you, you, yeah. you're, he was a pilot, and you're a pilot. You know what? What made you want to learn to fly, and when did you do that? Well, I, I always wanted to fly as a kid. My brother and I are both mechanically, uh, I guess you'd call us motorheads when we were young. And uh, he started, he he started taking flying lessons. So he calls me, and and by this time I've been talking to Arnold a lot, and he said, "Hey, I'm going to send this guy over." And, and an airplane, and you got to go up with it. So he came over, and, and to me, honestly, it was like a drug. I had to know. I had to figure it out. I had, I had to do this. I have to. So I started working at it like I did everything. I'd go, get up every morning, first lesson, daylight, and they called me the touch-and-go kid because I knew it was all about landing. There's no sense of worrying about the other part. If you can't land, if you can't get it on the ground, <laughs> you're just flying to the scene of the accident. Yeah. So I focused on landing, and I, I, that, was, that was what I'd do. I'd go up, and then 
I had an instructor uh, on the, when it was really windy and lousy weather, I'd call him and I, I knew the other students would cancel and then him and I would go up and and drew, do uh, crosswind landings in the worst conditions we could find. Well, it takes a lot of attention to detail to be a pilot. Did you apply that same kind of attention and detail in your into your business? I did. Yeah, I think I think what a, a pilot is is kind of equal parts of of academia, and 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 the other part is just mechanical aptitude. You know, the guy who some of the best pilots are guys who could run a bulldozer or who could uh, run any piece of equipment. And the other the other side of it is you it's it's you have to know the the airplane, the inter intricacies, and you have to know the navigational aids and, and how to do that. And that's the, the academic part. Well, let's get back to golf a little bit, you know, because yeah. you, you, you were the mid-am champ, you played the Masters twice, then you played on the Walker Cup team itself. Uh, and then you got the honor in, in 2015 to become the, the Walker Cup captain. Just for our listeners, tell everybody about the Walker Cup and, and, and how it's organized and what it really means. Well, the Walker Cup is um, a competition between the players from the United States versus the Great Britain and Ireland team. that We call them the GB&I. And the competition began in 1921 informally, and it was uh, the original invitation was uh, extended to players of all countries, but it was the brainchild of, of George Herbert Walker, who's the maternal great-grandfather of President Bush 41 and the great-great of President Bush 43. But uh, due to the economic times and so forth and so on, uh, only the, the British, only the Brits and the Irish showed up. So it was played formally in 1922 at the National Golf Links, and uh, and that's who showed up. The press dubbed it the Walker Cup because uh, George Herbert Walker had donated the trophy, and uh, and as now you go to this point, it was uh, there was a period during the war from 40 to 46 in which it was not played. But now we play every two years a biennial competition, and, and it's between our players, uh, the best 10 players we can find in the United States versus the best 10 players uh, that they have uh, in uh, Great Britain and Ireland. So in 2015, you go to Royal Lytham in, in England, and uh, uh, you actually lost. What was it like you know, to be a captain of the team and, and – uh, how did you cope with that? What was it? What were the feelings? And then how did you cope with it? Well, we came in like always with high expectations and, and, uh, and we were beaten soundly. Um, I, I take my hat off to our competition. It was, uh, our guys tried hard, but we were beaten. And as, as, as you know, in golf, you, you, you know, it's, it's up to you. And, uh, I did some things that I learned a lot from the first team that I applied to the second team, which helped us a lot, but uh, it wasn't much fun at the end of the day because uh, you're known as, the, you're either known as the 2015 Walker Cup team or the winning 2015 Walker Cup team. And I put that to our team in 2017, it's up to them as to how they want to be referred to. And uh, Fortunately, we're, we're referred to as the winning 2017 Walker Cup team. What was that feeling like, uh, Spider, to get the monkey off your back, so to speak, as a, as a captain? You lose yeah. the first one, and now, you know, you... 
Well, I had a great team, first of all, and um, I did learn some things. I, I actually, believe it or not, I had some good insight from our buddy, our mutual friend, Jimmy Dunn, on his thoughts of foursomes play, about why, why is it that uh, the Brits seem to um, dominate us in foursomes, which is an alternate shot, and uh, they don't necessarily in singles when we go head-to-head. And it came down to um, the only thing that's different is as Americans and we play our own ball, we're not used to having someone back on the tee with us when, when we hit the shot telling us, um, oh, leave me on this side of the fairway or leave me at 100 yards. You know, those are thoughts you never had. So for this team, I had the guys, when when they finished putting, the guy was to hit the tee shot, go go to the tee by himself. And the other guy start down the fairway and get ready to hit his second shot. And it worked. We, we handily won this, the foursomes play this year. What else did you learn from the loss that you were able to translate into victory? Well, uh, I guess you know it's no fun to lose. We were disappointed. And, uh, but you know what? If you're going to play, you're going to experience uh, defeat. No one in golf, especially, or in life, always you have your – you know, your ups and downs, you're, you have your defeats, and I try and be uh, the same. I learned that from the guys that I used to play. You, I wanted to be the same person I was when I won as, as I was when I was beaten. Well, you definitely are that. Uh, did you find any difference, uh, Spider, in terms of uh, coaching your, your, your golfers versus coaching your employees? Uh, that's a good question. No. I, I, I think I took I took my um, experience uh, at work um, as, as a, a team leader, you might say, of our group, of our team, and I vested uh, the responsibility in them, and I did that with our golfers. I wasn't an autocratic style. I, I said, you, this is a, a team effort, and I want to hear from you. How, how, what are your thoughts? How are we going to do this? to be the best team we can be uh, when when the flag goes up on Saturday morning. So uh, as far as pairings, I had them submit their choices to me, one through three, and I matched them up so that uh, they essentially matched themselves. I didn't try and say, I know this guy is a long hitter, this guy's a short hitter. Um, and then we, we talked a lot in, in our decisions were made collectively and and i do that at work you know the the guy that's calling on the customer who sees our customer every day he he's the guy i listen to if he comes back and and has a suggestion or wants something then my role is to support him because he is the closest guy to the to the sale closest to our customer and i viewed that same way uh, as our team I'm, they're the guys that are on the court. They're the ones playing. So they, you tell me what I can do, what we can do as a group to be better. And, and that's how I did it. What kind of responsibility did you feel just being the captain of a United States team? I mean, being the captain of anything in the United States must be a lot of pressure. Well, it was, uh, it was a great honor. And uh, we are, are – generally always expected to win not always you know we face some uh gb and i teams when when they had rory and luke donald and so forth where we were the, may have been the underdog but typically we all expect that w we will win but uh 
I guess to me, it was more of an honor and a responsibility and I tried to fulfill it. I, I tried to do all the things that were required of me that the USGA asked me to do. Uh, and I tried to do them in the right way. And, and I tried to see that our players conducted themselves in the right way. And, and they all did, everyone. And um, I just tried to fulfill my duties, much as I would if I worked for you or worked for anybody else. I would try and fulfill my obligation to, to be the best I could be as an employee or as a captain. When you think about leadership itself, you know, what is it do you think it's differentiated you as, as a leader? And what traits do you think leaders have to have? Well, I think, I think in, in my case, what helped me is uh, growing up uh, in a large family. I learned early on to interact with people of all ages. And uh, my mom was, uh, my mother didn't drive a car, so, um, we, we were on our own. I learned to, to deal with people. I learned how to, to handle myself and the people who, who, who uh, were difficult, but uh, learned to give and take. You know, it was never all about me. It was never all about anyone. And uh, I think a leader has to bring people together and make them all feel uh, a part of the, of the team. And, and I think people respect thrive on responsibility, I think it's a greater reward than, uh, mon than money. I, I think responsibility is what most people seek. And I know you like to learn from leaders. And when you were the captain of Walker Cup, uh, you, you brought in leaders uh, to speak to the team. And could, this year, I know you, you brought in uh, George Bush and uh, former president. Did he have an insight that uh, really kind of fired up your team? Well, I think uh, when President Bush came, it was, um, he is such a great man. And uh, I didn't quite know what to expect. He comes in, he's very humble. He's upbeat. He's, uh, he's full of energy. Uh, he sat down with the guys and he said, come on, let's talk about anything you want. I mean, he, he was willing to share anything we wanted to ask him. And he talked about as being president uh, his greatest responsibility was to protect the country and to, to keep us safe. And, and, uh, and you start thinking about that responsibility and he, he shared some insights with, uh, about situations that happened to him and he, he was fantastic. He was amazing and, and he, uh, he nicknamed one of the, one of the players, uh, Braden Thornberry, he calls him Olive Branch. So, I said to Braden, I said, how cool is that to have, have a nickname given to you by the president? So uh, it was great. He, he loosened people up. He made people feel at ease. And there again, I think, is a quality of a great leader. He, he, he made everyone feel at ease around him. He was he's an amazing man. So I think that really helped. I think that helped put the, the, uh, the entire team at ease uh, when it came to that first tee, because my goodness, they were just spent uh, uh, half a day with the president. Yeah, so president what, Bush. You know, right. that's pretty tall cotton, as it is. Say, you know. How have you uh, honed your leadership skills over the years, Spider? Oh, I guess um, I've just tried to expand on the things that got me going in the first place, and uh, 
in the business in my business career I fought through some price wars I I learned to control my overhead but I also learned to to get a lot out of the people that I work with and and were in our company and uh, I don't know that that I've done anything different now than I did you know 20 years ago when when we weren't as fortunate and the pricing uh, atmosphere was much more difficult than it is now. And uh, as far as leadership, I, I'm a big leader, believer in responsibility. I think people love responsibility, so I give them that and I let them control a lot of aspects of their individual jobs. How have you managed just the intersection of being a, a great amateur golfer where you got to spend a lot of time golfing, running a business where you got to run a business. And then you've got a beautiful family, you know, beautiful wife, Kathy, five kids. How have you managed that intersection between golf, business and family? Well, I'll, I'll start with the, 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 the best. Uh, my partner, Kathy was uh, probably uh, the one who allowed me uh, the opportunity to do it because she was there for the kids and did everything. And yeah, I missed some ball games. I missed a few things, and uh, I managed my time well. I was I wouldn't I, I never sat down to eat lunch. Sometimes I would stop uh, at daylight and putt for a half an hour, go to the office, come back, um, go to the I'd go to the golf course and. Uh, I'd have a grab a sandwich on the way, eat it while I was driving, putt for an hour, go back to the office, leave there after work, and stop at the driving range and hit balls till dark. <laughs> <laughs> and then I'd come home, and my wife was happy to see me, and and the kids were great, and and uh, I missed a lot of time with the kids because it it was to. To play at the level I wanted to play was very time-consuming. I always say that for golf, that's the best and the worst thing about it. Is the best thing is if you have time, it occupies your time. The worst thing is if you don't have time, it, it's tough because it takes time to to play at the level you want to. Yeah, definitely does. You know what is what is it you think that makes golf such a, a great sport for for business? Oh, I, I would say um, that every success I had had a tentacle in golf. I think golf is the greatest vehicle, uh, certainly has been in my case, uh, for business success. You know, you if you if you meet people and uh, whether they're a customer or in my case, it might be a brewery executive or whatever, if they play golf, you ha automatically have a friendship. Now, and sometimes if they don't play at all, then it's going to be a lot more difficult. <laughs> but if they if they play, uh, and, and even a, a customer, if they play, then I can take them to play golf and, and have four to five hours of their time. If I go in their office, I'm lucky to get five or ten minutes. So on the sales side, golf is, is a fantastic tool uh, for selling and uh and, and relationship-wise, you meet the best people. And I don't know of anyone who's ever gotten in trouble on a golf course, and that's a great place for kids as well. Great, great. You know, you're, Spider, one of the most humble guys I've ever known, in spite of the fact you've, you've done so much and accomplished so much in your, your life. 
Do you work at being humble? No, I have nothing to crow about, quite frankly. So it's easy. Uh, a case you know? in point. A yeah. case in point. Yeah, if, if, if I weren't humble, I'd be lying because there's <laughs> no, nothing to crow about. But uh, I'm lucky. I've got, a, you know, I've got five great kids and uh, six grandkids, and you know how special the grandkids are. So I tell Kathy, my wife, our challenge is to be around to see how it all turns out. So we keep plugging away. <laughs> when you look, uh, you know, at, at your life and business, just you know, what what do you see as the unfinished business now you have in your life? You know, I I want to. I guess my role now is to be the best uh, granddad that I can be, and to uh, if I can provide any support to our grandchildren and our adult children, and then uh, any manner that to help people like you're doing with Folds of Honor, David, the things that you do, uh, I think that's a continuation of, of what all of us should do as we, you know, come to the, the end of our obligations, our daily obligations of, of work and, and, uh, and, and to try and, and always contribute I'm not going to sit in the couch and, you know, I'm, I'm up. I leave the house every morning. Sometimes I don't know where I go, but I just, I just get up and I go to work. Yeah. Spider, you know, it's just, you know, you say you want to be a great grandfather now, you know, to your grandkids. <laughs> so you, you, you know how to love people and you're a great friend. And, uh, you know, anybody that knows you and knows you well loves you. And I appreciate very much you being on this show. Thanks, David. Well, you're the best and you and Wendy are an example of what golf does for you. I, I know you and I know your wife through golf. Isn't that great? It's the greatest thing in the world. It's great. So let's go play. All right, <laughs> let's go. Thanks. Well, it's always fun to have a great conversation with a great friend. So anytime I get to spend with Spider is always special for me. From his early days mopping the floors at the laundromat, Spider has understood the power of hard work and responsibility. There's dignity in doing your job well, no matter what the job is. And as a successful business leader and team captain, he trusts his own teams with that same level of responsibility. He sees himself as a servant and supporter for the great work his team does. That's the sign of a truly great leader and it's an incredible opportunity for you to learn. So this week, as part of your weekly personal development plan, ask yourself, what are three ways you can give more responsibility to your team? Instead of doing the work yourself, where can you offer support and service as your team goes out and gets the job done? Now, this isn't always easy, but let me tell you something. It's how you build strong teams and accomplish great things together. So do you want to know how leaders lead? What we learned today is that great leaders trust others with responsibility. Thanks again for tuning in to another episode of How Leaders Lead, where every Thursday you get to listen in while I interview some of the very best leaders in the world. I make it a point to give you something simple on each episode that you can apply to your business so that you will become the best leader that you can be.